Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I could not be more excited to introduce to you today my interview with the one and only Maria Sharapova. Maria is an incredible example of tenacity. She has uh, been the world's number one five times. She is an Olympic medalist. She is uh, a Grand Slam champion. She's won every major in the sport of tennis. And I think in some ways most impressively to me, she is the exemplification of tenacity and moving through vision and adopting through vision, um, even and actually especially during times of challenge. And for me, 2018 was a time of, 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 of particular challenge, and her book, Unstoppable, was a great guide in seeing through those challenges and in kind of looking for new tools to create opportunity in the obstacles of life. And in this episode, she goes into a great many of her strategies that she's used as a champion to to get to the top and to stay on top. Um, She goes into the value of bringing in different coaches into your life uh, during different phases of life and why she does that. She goes into the difference and distinction between goodness and greatness and how to rise through tough times and the exemplification of greatness. She talks about getting knocked down and getting back up. She talks about seeing obstacles as opportunities. And she talks about her new vision of success and how she looks at goals differently now than she once did. Um, I, I found it to be an extraordinary interview. I really, really enjoyed my time with Maria. She's not only an incredible athlete, but a, a, an incredible entrepreneur and has put her vision to life in a variety of arenas beyond just the tennis court. And my conversation with her was really one of the most inspiring conversations I had um, last year. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to share this with you. Part of my vision with Peak Mind was not only to bring you some of the best people on the planet, the best performers, but also to bring you some of the best products. And when I decided to launch the show, I reached out to two of my favorite products uh, that I use actually on a daily or near daily basis, Four Sigmatic and Organifi. And I asked them if they would uh, be part of launching the show, and they both agreed. And so I want to tell you a, a little bit about each of them. Four Sigmatic is an incredibly high-quality organic coffee with lion's mane. And for those of you that don't know, lion's mane is actually an incredible brain booster. It's been used by monks to actually enhance their meditation practice. And as I'm committed to uh, a peak mind, and as I looked and strive to learn from peak minds, one of the things I'm always looking out for are what are the nootropic or adaptogenic herbs or mushrooms that can be incorporated into the diet to enhance performance, mental acuity, etc. And in my research, what I discovered was um, lion's mane's actually been used for millennia in different cultures to enhance cognition. So I'm stoked uh, that Four Sigmatic actually launched an organic coffee with 
uh, lion's mane because it's one of my favorite mushrooms and I pretty much now drink it on a daily basis. It's incredibly tasting coffee. Just drank coffee as anyone would conventionally and then I realized there's tons of mycotoxins in conventional coffee molds uh, oftentimes are contaminants in coffee and what I love about Four Sigmatic is it's super high quality organic and infused with the best mushrooms uh, on the planet which in, in my view are, are, are lion's mane so if you want to check them out I highly recommend it it's Four Sigmatic F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com and if you put in backslash peak, you get 15% off on your order. That's foursigmatic.com backslash peak. I'd also love to introduce you to my favorite protein brand. So when I work out, I don't know if many of you have had the challenge of finding a protein powder without artificial ingredients, without sweeteners. I have no interest in having, you know, uh, artificial ingredients in pretty much anything I consume. But what I love about Organifi is they have a great tasting protein powder. I've been using it for years. Um, oftentimes I like to kick off my day with protein, but I may not have the time to cook a full meal. And so what I'll do is I'll do the Organifi Complete Protein with blueberries, which are also extraordinarily good for your brain. And I put my pre and probiotic supplements um, into the smoothie and I put in spinach and some of my grains and it's like uh, rocket fuel for my morning. So absolutely love Organifi. I really recommend you guys check them out. I've been taking it for years. Um, and for that, you can just hit up Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And at checkout, if you put in Peak Mind, uh, you'll get 20% off. Again, that's Organifi.com and Peak Mind at checkout. Two of my favorite products, I hope you love them. Give them a try. Again, I would only put out there things that I genuinely believe in and things that I genuinely use, and these are two of my favorite products um, on the market. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Maria Sharapova. All right, I'm here with Maria Sharapova. Maria, thank you for being with me. Of course. Uh, I just actually, you gave uh, me graciously a copy of your book, Unstoppable, and I couldn't put it down. I loved it. Thank you. Uh, obviously, I think many people know you in regards to your accomplishments, five Grand Slams, including every major. Um, you had the honor, I learned, in the course of the book of being the first female, is that right, to be asked to be flag bearer for, yes. your, for your country? Um, so absolutely incredible accomplishments, um, the best of the best, ranked number one uh, several times. Um, but what actually struck me most and what I loved about the book was your talking about the challenges mm -hmm. and, and the tenacity that mm. you've demonstrated through the challenges. Right. And I think that's something that, that all of us can relate to. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could take me back a little bit. Um, you know, you're, you, start, you start in the book with the story of your father and, and your, your journey kind of into tennis starting at four years of age. Can you yeah. share a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was so much um, of my life post-winning Wimbledon at 17 years old was recorded from the matches to interviews to everything. But a lot of how we got there um, was not the story of coming to America as a as a six-and-a-half-year-old girl with just my father leaving my mom behind for two years because of 
not allowing her to get a visa for the first two years. Um, Martina Navratilova spotting my talent at a kid's clinic amongst hundreds of other kids when I was just five years old, which is crazy because I see five-year-olds now and I was like, I, I, I don't know if they're going to be great. I don't know if they're going to be good or make it or play college. So for her to be able to pull my father aside and say, your daughter has talent and um, I think you should do something about it. And then my dad sort of stepping up and saying, I'm going to take action. Like there's not enough to develop this tennis in Russia. Tennis was by far um, maybe a least popular sport back then, especially in the north. Um, you know, you had hockey, you had all the winter sports, Olympic sports, you had gymnastics, but tennis was just not quite as where it is today. Sure. And so we bought a ticket. They bought a ticket to Florida. We landed in Miami Airport, and um, following that, just years of trying to figure out where to train, how to train, with what coach. Um. Yeah, you mentioned in the book, which I found like fascinating, both obviously Navratilova spotting your talent, but yeah. your father also, I mean, really remarkable level of commitment to <laughs> say, I think he said, you, I think he said, you showed up, you, he, he talked the visa officer into giving you a three-year visa, which yeah. is miraculous. And, and then what I loved was you made the distinction that actually one that he trusted his gut, yeah. uh, which I thought was a really powerful lesson. Yeah. Like there, it's very uh, you know, obviously it's a huge a leap of faith. We think a lot about our decisions. Yeah, right? we, like before we make them, and he was like, "No, this is what I feel from the beginning, and I'm going to go with it." And he believed in signs, so he would see all these different signs, and he's like, "Oh, that is meant to be what what I think it's meant to be," and he would go for it. And if you think about it, like taking your daughter to a whole new environment, a new culture, and a new place. I mean, if anyone was to really take a deep look at themselves in the mirror, you'd think, okay, you're crazy and yeah. you're, you're stupid. Because how many make it? Like one in a million? Right. And he was like, yeah, it is stupid, but I'm going to go for it. And I think that's like sitting down with him during the process of writing was really special, you know, to have. I'm an only child. So we, we formed a very close um, bond and friendship with my father and my mom as well. And, um, and so much as, you know, and as I was writing this, I also noticed from other people how so much of a relationship between an athlete and a parent becomes very distant as the athlete goes older because of the dedication and the commitment that and the time that the parent and the athlete spend together. And it was really the opposite for me. Like my dad was by no means an easy figure. Like he was very harsh and tough and, you know, he knew what he wanted and he was strict with me and um, from everything, from pre-match to stretching to the way that I trained to going to bed early in the evening. So all those things. But I didn't like resent him for it because I loved what I was doing and I knew that he was only contributing to what I wanted to achieve. And he sacrificed profoundly. So I mean, you talk yeah. about him throwing his back out and being in yeah. pain for a full day without yeah. him being discovered. And I mean, a variety of things. I obviously had a very, because my relationship with my father had a very uh, deep resonance with, yeah. with the degree to which he had your back. Right. Um, I also like the distinction that you drew in the book of saying that one of his key traits was actually not, even though he said yes on his yeah. gut, it was what, what the distinction you drew was also his ability to say no yeah. when it mattered. Exactly. And I think when, I mean, that, and that's just in, in every business and in every sport, like we have, a, we have a lot of opportunities to say yes to things. And a lot of those are traps. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to say yes to them because it feels like immediate feedback. It feels like it's immediate success. But it's not, 
I don't always believe that it's long-term growth. It's not always the right decision for long-term. And I'm someone that from a very young age, and I, I don't know exactly where that came from, but I've always had long-term vision. So I'm not doing something today for tomorrow. I'm doing it for the next day. And if tomorrow, and if what I do today results in a great day tomorrow, like that's a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed one of the, I mean, there was a variety of, cause I'm always looking to distill down and in, in sort of speaking with these peak minds, like what yeah. are the consistent, yeah. you know, behaviors that right. one could replicate in their own lives. And to me, what kept coming back was, and you mentioned this, you know, you're, you're, incredible tenacity, mm-hmm. like you, both the vision, long-term vision, yeah. and ability to see through right. the setbacks. Right. And I want to touch on, you know, obviously Wimbledon being a marquee moment, yeah. 17 years old, um, but the the match, that, which you go into some detail around with Lindsay Davenport, where it looked like you were basically... Oh, I was out. You were out. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> semi-finals of Wimbledon. I'm down a set, I mean, in front of, like, this amazing crowd. The Royal Box has, like, Billie Jean King and all the greats yep. in there. And and I'm, like, this happy camper losing, I don't know, it was bad, um, a set and a break, and it starts raining. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that means I have to wait for my flight out. And <laughs> like I wanted to get it over with. I just I had no chance. It was like she did everything that I did and better. Yeah. And I remember going back into the locker room. I was reading some gossip magazine, like eating a chocolate bar, getting my, my legs rubbed down. Um, and I go, it was like five, five to ten minutes before the, the match resumed. And I have this... First, it was my father and I and my coach. And then it was just like the moments before were just my father and I. Mm-hmm. And he like looked dead straight into my eyes. And he was like, you're going to win this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you been watching what's been out there? Like, how, how am I going <laughs> Not to Not based win? on evidence, yeah. <laughs> like, so I went from like laughing to being scared shitless because I was like, whoa, how does he? And all of a sudden I like, I thought, you know what? I mean, maybe he's right. Yeah. And so I went, it's amazing what words can do. Like that quick moment of you have a chance. Yes. And look, it could have gone complete opposite way and I could have gone to the court and lost the next few games and been out of the tournament. But it was like little by little, you win a few points, you put them together. And the next thing you know, she's thinking about being in the finals of Wimbledon and she's had two hours to think about it and it's not an easy position to be in. Yeah. You, you, you talk about that distinction in terms of like having something to win versus having something to lose. Yeah. And what I love was you went on to beat Lindsay and went on to win Wimbledon at 17, one of the youngest uh, players ever, you know, to take that crown on on a marquee stage. I loved how you mentioned the fact that your father's laughter you'd never sort of seen before or after in that way, but the way that that affected your mindset even, and also mentioned the degree to which like other conditions, like the house you were in, like the fact that you're with a two year old who like kept you grounded, the degree of having those kind of grounding forces was pivotal. And so I thought a little bit about team because what also occurred to me is you you sort of break up um, through the course of your journey. Um, you work with different coaches. Obviously, yeah. your father being a marquee yeah. figure. And, and he still overlooks the process. But yeah. along the way, I, I've worked with many different coaches. And that's been an interesting process because as an athlete um, – when I was young, it was very much like I felt like it was just myself and it was just me who was winning. And I've gained a whole new appreciation of what team is mm-hmm. and what everyone does and, and how everyone influences and impacts what you do on the court. And, and even though it's just you out there, 
there's so many pe people that pour everything of their job and even more and go above and beyond to make you great and be a champion. Um, but it wasn't something that resonated with me from a young age. Um, I just thought it was just me and I go there and I yeah. win or lose. And it, I mean, a lot of it is like I take responsibility for losing and I take responsibility for winning. I'm the one that holds the trophy. But I think what you need to also understand, and I learned that, is that what I need as a 17-year-old wasn't the type of coaching that I needed as, you know, a 20-year-old or someone that's 25. And you evolve as a player. You need different things. And, you know, maybe in the beginning it was a little bit more technical. And the process of understanding that, it sometimes takes too long. And yeah. I've made that mistake before. Like realizing that, like, I'm moving into a different chapter. I need something else. I'm, I've become comfortable. I've become complacent. The drills that I'm doing, the repetitions I'm doing, it's all, it's, it becomes a little too similar. You know, they're not keeping me on my feet. They're not keeping me surprised. And, yeah, it's such a, it's very delicate because these are also relationships. Like, I spend more time with these people than I spend with my family. And so it's like, how do you know when is the time to... That, that was my great learning, actually, and, and there, were, there were a variety of insights I garnered from the book, but really thinking about, I mean, you mentioned, I think the first time you mentioned was at 18, <clears throat> you realized both your, your great strength, like you understood yeah. your own game. Yeah. You understood yeah. your great strength, but also yeah. you understood your own weakness, yeah. such that you could overcome it. Right. And then in working through, for example, one of your great strengths was your serve. Mm -hmm. And then obviously when you faced injury, yep. you had to reinvent yeah, your game again. Exactly. And so to me, both in that view of tenacity, but also in the context of reinvention, mm -hmm. it seems to me actually that foresight is one of your great gifts. Yeah. And it was one of the, the great learnings that I had from right. the book is like, okay, at this chapter in my life, right, what, mm -hmm. who do I need to bring onto my team? Right. And, yeah. and so one of the questions I had was, because there were key members of your team, both your father, I mean, and Connor, like there was various figures that are very, that were pivotal that are marquee relationships, characters. right? Yeah. How did you? What was the process for you in terms of saying, okay, I may need, I both want to honor this relationship yeah. and everything that it brings, and I want to bring another aspect into yeah. enhance my game, right? Well, it depends on the time and it depends on the the, the frame of mind that you have. So, for instance, when I was going through my shoulder surgery and after having um, I mean, I had a really powerful and strong serve. And I went through this phase um, of pain for a long period of time when my injury was misdiagnosed where I couldn't, like, understand, like, my, my arm and my body weren't connected. And going through that process, um, having surgery, coming back, so many things changed with my motion. I had to, like, shorten my motion. I had to adjust. And it went from being a strength to something that was very mediocre. And... And I thought about it, I studied it, I talked about it with, with my coach and my father and my team. I wanted to make it better. And then I like took a step back and I realized that instead of focusing so much on what wasn't working, I started relying and improving the other aspects of my game and letting something else um, that was once a strength and that wasn't a strength at that moment kind of settled down it's into its own and not put that much focus and I'm not sure where it came from maybe it was experience and like and finally maturity like I was able to say you know what like 
we focused on this so much. You know, when you have a problem and you're trying to figure it out and you bring other people and experts and opinions and, and then it just becomes a hot mess. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, all the noise. All the noise. And sometimes taking a step back is is really important. But my father, you know, he has very much a Russian mentality. Like you need to make decisions that are based on your best interest. And that might hurt a relationship at this moment. But you are, I mean, we give so much to what we do. Like our, our work is so important to us. And we don't want to find ourselves being in a situation where we lose a match, we lose a deal, and we're forced to think, you know, we tried to save that relationship because we want it to be nice and comfortable and complacent. And so we have this feeling of regret. Yeah. And that's awful. Yeah, I think that was one of the other things that I garnered from from your narrative was 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 looking at like have always having the long game in mind. Yeah. Like you talk about yeah, even in the context of relationships, yeah. right? Like in the locker room relationships yeah. where a lot of people, you know, feel the need to to connect. Yeah. Whereas and you've seen it always as like, well, I, th- I think there's just a commitment to authenticity is right. what I what, what I got from right. it. I mean, even even in the context of you know like the the medical prescription which uh-huh. then got banned, right. the fact that you came out. And wanted to be the first to to, yeah. to own the story yourself. Yeah. I think there's something to that to me. Like yeah. it really shows a, a value in integrity and like authenticity. But like and not and not um, not covering things up. Mm. Like that was one of the, the that was one of the pieces at least that I right. garnered from right. it. Right. Yeah. And. So, but how do you maintain that discipline, right? Because it seems to me that it of requires, yeah, the discipline of authenticity and also the discipline of kind of, you know, kind of keeping the end in mind, right? Like when, I mean, there was a moment yeah. you talk about in the locker room where like right before a match, I think it was a Wimbledon match, yeah. you know, I think it was Serena, Serena came up to came you up and to was like me. telling you about her engagement yeah. and like it was, where you hadn't had a particular previous relationship. No, the exactly. Other and it's right. like, am I being thrown off here? Yeah, is this exactly. Is part of the plan? Right. Or is this genuine? You don't know. And that's like what I question in the book. Yeah. I, I still sometimes do right but I think I mean and especially when you sit down to like to write a book and you really go back to those particular moments where I mean so much of it is said about relationships and locker rooms and friendships and Mm -hmm. and this being um, an individual sport and how do you form those friendships and then get out on the court and compete and for me there's like it's black or white yeah like there's no middle ground it's how I felt from the very beginning now Respect plays a big part in this because I don't need to be friends with someone in order to respect them. I think respect is the highest form of friendship in a competitive environment to me. Um, And I've had that mentality from a very young age um, and I've carried it with me. It's kind of, it's always there. I I walk into the, you know, the tournament venue and got my headphones on. Mm -hmm. I've got tunnel vision I'm in the locker room for a few minutes. You know, I get my shoes out. I put them in. I take a shower. I go practice. I come back in there. I get ready for my match. I mean, I don't spend much time there. I have nothing to do there. Like, that is my office, and I treat it as part of my preparation, and not just, like, physical preparation, but mental preparation. Because when I get out on the court, I can't be, like, sitting around having, like, hot chocolate and eating marshmallows and s'mores and then, like, going out and, like, and pumping my face. (laughs) I just... (laughs) I mean, there are people that can, and I just can't. So, I mean, I, I say, I talk about it very openly because I just, I can't find that switch. Yeah, the vanilla ice cream with sprinkles is reserved for this, spe- this special crew. Exactly. I, I love that moment, too, because my father is like, 
core passion is ice cream. Like it was ice our way of related. Truck. New York City. I was like, where's the New York <laughs> ice cream truck? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, the other piece that, that really struck me was you, you draw a distinction between good and great. You say, you know, it's easy to be good when everything's in your favor, yeah. but really greatness, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as I interpreted it yeah. was, you know, was, was rising up in and through the, the, the really exactly. tough times. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Because there's only been a handful of times during my career where I've finished the match, I've come off the court, and I've been like, wow. Everything I did just worked. Mm. Everything I had planned in my mind, the shots that I wanted to make, the patterns I wanted to play with, um, shot selection, I was in the zone, everything worked. There's only a few times that that's happened. Yeah. Because tennis is, and I imagine it with every other sport, it's emotional, it's physical, it's mental. There are momentum changes. It can be an hour, it can be three hours. And so all that goes into play. It's impossible to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, there are players that make it look perfect, that make it look flawless. I mean, you look at Roger Federer and the way he plays, but he is, he makes it look flawless. But to get to that moment of flawless is like the work ethic and the time and the repetition and everything that goes into it um, is not the things that are not flawless that, that end up being flawless. So I just, I, I really believe in this, when I come off the court and I think that I got through a match by not playing my best tennis is when I get the most confidence mm. to keep going in the tournament and to keep improving. When And that's something that Jimmy Connors actually told me as well. He says it's it's very powerful to be able to win a match when nothing is working. Yeah. You know, when nothing is working and it's your t and it's your bad day and you come through. I mean, he's like if that doesn't give you satisfaction, I mean, then what will? Because everyone can feel great when they're playing great, yeah. when everything's flowing, when they're executing. Um, but it's when you, you're not and you're able to find a way to win. It's like, what more do you want? You know, and when he said it, he made it seem so simple. But it's, it's absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at also, I mean, the arch, what was remarkable to me is to think you started at four. Yeah. 26 years you've been focused in, yeah. on this journey. Um, and you... What I personally resonated with, because I have a deep reverence to probably the figure I, I love the most, is you started with the Mandela quote, yeah. uh, which was talking about, you know, don't judge me by my successes, exactly. but judge me by the number of times that I've gotten knocked down and get back up. Right. And so, to me, there were times, like when you talked about your, your surgery, mm -hmm. um, obviously when the context of the medical re regulations right. changed and you, right. you got uh, suspended. suspended for yeah. 15 months. Um, which is a lifetime for an athlete, yeah. uh, but but I also I, I want to acknowledge you because what I what I what I loved in the book is you actually looked you always saw the, at least in the way that you reflected upon it the positive in it you're like actually I had my body hadn't rested I've been playing tennis yeah, for twenty time. plus years yeah. and so like. I'm going to take this time. I'm going to go intern at the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to do a class at Harvard. Right. I'm going to build my business. Yeah. So, yeah. like, how do you turn those obstacles into opportunities? It seems like that's something that you're always mindful of. I am because I do, I do believe that we have a choice of how we continue moving forward. And I don't think everyone's lives is perfect. And I think we all face challenges. And I face one of my toughest challenges that I could have faced in the last couple of years as an athlete. And... 
And I, it's like you said, like it really helped me getting up front of it and telling the truth and telling what happened. It allowed me to go through the process with a sense of, you know what? Yes, I'm uncertain about when I'll be back. It might be two years. It might be one year. I don't know. But when I will be back, I will be ready. And in the meantime, I want to use this chance. And it was tough because it was like, you know, I let go my team for a certain period of time who's like family to me. Um, I didn't train as I do train like tennis wise for a long period of time, which was a nice little break, but I missed it. Yeah. But I... I wanted to do other things and I, you know, I wanted to feel like I put myself in an uncomfortable environment, like being around people I don't know, going to a school that I don't know, mm-hmm. staying in a campus. It's just all those little things that um, that made me, that uncomfort, like made me want to grow even more. Yeah. Um, and then just being like accepted by in, in a situation like that where, you know, there's a lot of negativity and just feeling accepted by people like someone like like an Adam Silver or a corporation like Nike that said, you know what, come here, you know, you'll, you'll shadow us, you'll go into these meetings. And I, I was just in awe of it. Yeah. It's beautiful, actually. And, and also, obviously, you had time to, to write a book, which is going to inspire uh, Unstoppable, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is going to inspire a great number of people. What, what would you say in reflecting, like you've had a few months, now you're obviously um, back in the game, yeah. just be the world's number two at the U.S. Open. Uh, congratulations. Um, and I'm incredibly excited to see what the future holds. But as you've achieved, and I know you've been asked this question before, but I guess as you've achieved the great milestones, if you will, mm-hmm. that, that oftentimes define the sort of pinnacle, the penultimate success, yeah. what does success look like for you now, mm-hmm. having had time to sort of pause and reflect? And, and what do you see as the kind of key qualities that you feel are translatable from your success that other people can use in adopting for their own? Yeah. Success to me um, has become more of an internal feeling than ever before. And it's not something that can be taken a picture of or um, most of the time can be seen from others. Um, It's such an internal understanding of what a person or situation or something that you do Um, its meaning and how it affected you and what you did to get there and it's a lot of emotions that come together and and create this happiness and I don't know I think I definitely feel that before it was I wouldn't say materialistic things but like things when you're holding a trophy in that moment and I don't want to take anything away from that because that is so special and that is what I work for is that last moment of holding a trophy but it's almost like that morning after when you're like just waking up after a championship and you know you get your little replica and it's not the big thing but it's this little thing that's sitting next to you and and then you have you know you get these messages from all your friends and that are just that have seen you go through everything the challenges the great moments the tough moments your family and and just seeing how it impacts them um and a lot of that happiness moment comes like from within so Mm -hmm. that's that's definitely changed. Yeah. Yeah. I but think one thing like we make mistakes of is like I used to set certain goals for myself and I changed that mentality a little bit because I feel like if you accomplish that, like say it is winning a particular event, like what's what's then? What happens after? Like is that you 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 wanted to grow up to that, but then do you limit yourself to only that goal? I think we're 
like the uncertainty of not having a particular finish line is exciting to me. Whereas maybe when I was younger, it was scarier. And, and I've put myself in that privileged position because I have achieved what I have and I've won the title. So maybe um, I, you know, I allow myself to feel that way. Maybe when I was younger and I still hadn't won enough tournaments or matches, I would feel like, yeah, I need to get that tournament. I want to get that tournament. But now, like having the feeling of uncertainty actually inspires me a lot. Well, we're excited to see what uh, the future holds, Thank especially you. amidst Thank the uncertainty. So and so yeah. grateful for you taking the time. Of course, absolutely. Thanks, Maria. Of course. And there you have it. I absolutely loved my conversation with Maria. She brought uh, some incredible insights into tenacity and having a vision and and kind of redefining yourself amidst the uncertainties that life can often bring. And I was super inspired by the episode. I hope you were too. If you liked it, please subscribe to the show. Please rate and leave a review if, if you liked it. And, and please, please, please share it with your friends on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and tag Maria Sharapova and Michael Trainer. And I would love to hear where you're listening and any comments or insights that you garnered from the episode. Uh, I'll often share those back out through our Peak Mind community and it means the world to me. So can't wait to share more Peak Minds with you in the very near future. Uh, stay tuned. Again, please subscribe and share if you found it valuable. Feel free to share insights. And until next time, go out there and live your most inspired life.